Hey, good morning. And again, if you are here in person or you're joining us online, we're really glad all of you are here. And if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and I'm excited you are worshiping with us today. Uh, a couple of quick announcements, just kind of real quick. Um, one is people have already been asking me about this morning, and I'm sure some of you probably have the same question too, with the CDC coming out and kind of loosening some of the mass restrictions. People have been asking me, what does that mean here for the church? And We've had a handful of guiding principles over the last 15 months that's kind of informed our decisions. And one of them is, is that we want to be considered a partner with our community. And so we've just chosen to make sure that we follow. We're not carving out any exemptions for us with any state, city, or national uh, guidelines. And as of right now, the city of Fayetteville still does have a mask mandate. And so for now, we are going to continue to be supportive of that. And my guess is that we will hear something from them over the next few weeks, and um, you'll hear something from us then. But as of, as of right now, it's just really important for us to be thought of as not someone who is opposed to what our community is doing, but is supporting them in every possible way. So we're going we're gonna to keep kind of what we've been doing over the last few months, uh, at least for now. So we'll just keep you up to date on that. And also over the last couple of weeks, I've been just kind of mentioning kind of our giving and our budget situation. And... We kind of run into a bit of a deficit, and then over the last two weeks, I mean, you guys have just really blessed the church tremendously with some great giving that has really kind of uh, helped us a lot. I appreciate that, and just kind of, yeah, that's awesome. And the big, the next thing really for us to think about really is kind of what it looks like for our next budget year that starts in July, and really, uh, it's about $5,000 a month that I feel like we could, if we could, if we could come up with that, we would just be in a better situation. And really, the math on that's fairly simple. It's really 50 families saying we can increase our giving by $100 a month, and, and it's, the, the math on that works out pretty well. And so I would just encourage you, as you start thinking about making plans um, starting this summer, I'd encourage you to consider that. All right, so now we will get on with Colossians. And um, so one of the things I do is I'm, as I'm reading, I try not to just simply think about, like, what it is you need to hear, but I also always am trying to think about what is it that I need to hear. And I was mindful this week of, uh, of, who, uh, of, of me as a college student. And I was a part of this college ministry, and we, there was this summer project that we were part of. And the, very, and the first summer I went, I was just a participant. And the guy that was my, kind of my, my group leader, he's kind of, we had we four or five of us in a room together, and we had a group leader that lived in there with us. And I remember thinking the whole summer, I'm, 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 I'm smarter than this guy. Um, I'm a better leader than this guy. Why would he get picked instead of me? It should have been me. What's wrong with, what's wrong with me? Like, the, what, what is with this organization that would even pick him over me? I don't even get it. And I just spent the whole time just kind of with this, with this chip on my shoulder, which, of course, made a great summer for him, I'm sure. Um, and then the next year, I went back, and this time I was a leader, but I wasn't the, the overall project leader. And so I was on this team with him, and I spent the whole summer thinking, why don't they pick him to be in charge of the whole project? I'm smarter than him. I'm better than him. I know better than him. He's not a great leader. I'm a great leader. And, I, and again, a very challenging summer for him. And I get back from that summer, and the guy who's mentoring me in college, I'm telling him this, and he's like, isn't this what you said last year? And I said, yeah. And he said, have you considered that maybe the problem is you? And then I thought, maybe I don't think he's a very good leader either. It's kind of what I was... <laughs> thinking that was my senior year, and then I graduated from college, and now I'm incredibly mature. <laughs> and it was amazing how that issue continued to follow me. Every boss that I had just didn't seem quite smart enough, good enough, 
competent enough to really lead me. And it was just like, no matter what their personality was, well, you know, they could be a really, a really strong, heavy-handed leader, a real passive leader, data-driven, more relational. It did not matter. I could find what the problem was and why it was that you really weren't worth leading me. And it took way longer than it should have for me to go back to the thing that my mentor had said to me my senior year in college, which was maybe, maybe it's me because honestly, the common factor in all of these situations is not a particular type of leader. The only common factor in this is me and that I have a huge humility and pride issue that makes it impossible to lead me. And it doesn't have anything to do with them. And I just realized that just, there's just this sense in which, like, if I'm having someone who is leading me, I'm going to have a bad attitude. I'm going to think about how unfair it is, how unjust it is, and, and, and how I would be better in this situation. That's just where my brain goes. And part of that is a wiring issue where God maybe has designed me to be in situations more often than not where I'm supposed to be the one who is leading but regardless, even if that's how you're wired, you're going to find yourselves in a lot of situations where you're not in charge. And who you are reflects on your character. And I, and I, and I have all this in my head because uh, the, we're going to start today in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. We're going to see the same idea, kind of bookend this passage, beginning and end. And in Colossians three seventeen, Paul says this, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So whatever it is you do, wherever it is you find yourself, whatever the situation, whatever is going on with you, you do that in the name of Jesus. You are representing Jesus in whatever situation you find yourself in. Whatever it is that you do, when you're talking, when you're working, whatever it is about you, you be thankful to God and do it in the name of Jesus. Which we will, just, we will, we will sum up this idea this way. Wherever God has you, wherever God has you, do what you do for Him. Wherever God has you, do what you do for Him. Now I'm going to connect this to kind of this bigger picture thread that we've been working through through Colossians. Colossians are a bunch of relatively new believers, and this group of people have come in to try to get them to kind of modify their faith. They, yeah, you think that you can have a relationship with God simply by following Jesus, but actually there's these rules that you need to follow. And there's just certain guidelines, dietary and, and worship festivals and all these things. And in fact, you think Jesus is great, but he's not quite as powerful as you think he is. And really, kind of our prophet and leader here, he's really important. You need to listen to him. Jesus is okay, but he can't do everything. You've got to do this and follow our rules and understand and follow our teacher and do these things. And Paul is like, this is all nonsense. And he starts by just talking about how powerful and great this Jesus is. He, he's the creator of the universe. He sustains the universe with his hand. And, and there's this mystery that comes with that, that this powerful creator God can come and live and dwell inside of you. He, he lives in you. And because of that, I mean, you talk about the power of God living inside of you through Jesus, what difference do you really think it makes? What kind of dietary restrictions you have or whether or not you worship this way or that way? He's like, it's not about what you do. It's about who Jesus is and him in you. 
And so then Paul goes to the next step in the passage we looked at last week. And because of that, because Jesus is in you, he's going to transform your character. He's going to put to death all of the bad things and restore in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so we see first, Jesus is amazing and we need to be captivated by him. And then we understand, well, now God is going to do something with, with me on the inside. And there's this thing that happens in our brain where you think, well, okay, well, if it's not about rules, it's about what Jesus did, and our brain goes, does that mean we can do whatever we want? Which is an incredible thing that our, that our brain just constantly goes, it means I can do whatever I want. It means I can do whatever I want. And it's never true, but we want it to be true. It's like, no, no, no. In fact, Paul says the opposite of that. So, so Jesus is great. He's going to be inside you. He's going to transform your character. And therefore, in everything that you do, do it for Jesus. So now we've got, if we've gotten the order right, it's not that how we live isn't important. It's just the way that we get there. We understand that Jesus is everything. He lives inside me. He's transforming my character. And now, rather than having this rule-based approach to life, I have a Jesus-centered approach to life. I am going to live my life in a way that no matter where I find myself, I'm going to show honor to Jesus. And so the way that this was taught to me, I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying attention very well, maybe it wasn't presented very well, but I just remember the first time I heard this when people would say, and whatever you do, you do it for Jesus. I'm like, that, that seems a little cheesy, that seems a little weird, and I don't understand it. It's like you wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm, I'm going to eat me some cereal, and I'm going I'm to eat the cereal for, for, for Jesus. And I'm like, I hold the spoon wrong. Like, everybody tells me that. I think it's part of I'm left-handed, and part of I don't care what you think. I, I, hold, I hold the spoon wrong. Like, is that for Jesus? And I'm a sloppy cereal eater too, man. Like, the milk is drooling right here, and I'm scraping it. I mean, it's awful. You don't want to watch it, right? It's like, I was doing it for Jesus. And I don't know what Jesus thinks about Captain Crunch. Because I'm not a kid. I'm not a kid, and, and I, don't, I don't know. And it's like, it's like you have this kind of weird idea. It's like, what does it mean to kind of, I'm going to walk for Jesus? And, like, we, we, we overcomplicate it, especially considering the fact that he is about to explain pretty significantly, a, a, a big portion of what he means by this, of what it really means for us to, whatever we do, to do it all in the name of Jesus. And so we will continue here in verse 18. And before we get here, I'm just going to go ahead and, I'm just go ahead and just warn you right now. There are some problematic things with this passage. I'm going to read it, and you're going to be like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I'm, mm-hmm. I don't like that. Or it's going to be weird, like, what is, what is, what is that about? And so I'm not going to pretend that it's not there, and you, just, so you, don't, and you don't have to be worried that there's something wrong with you, as if I'm reading, you think, I don't know that I like that, okay? Verse 18, Colossians chapter 3. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Here's that, verse, here's that same idea again, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. 
Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Probably was not difficult for you to figure out some problematic parts of that passage. And um, the way that the Bible is just, it seems to be in this passage, very casually addressing the idea of slavery and essentially telling slaves it's fine, just, just, just keep doing, do, do, work hard as a slave, right? There's something about that that seems weird. And even with, maybe with what it says about wives submitting to their husbands, that, that something about that may not, may not set right. Because ultimately, and I, I'd like to kind of get maybe at a bigger picture issue here, and we kind of talk about some of the details too. Essentially what Paul is addressing here in this passage, he's talking about three different power structures where there is a power, there's a relationship, but in the relationship there's a significant power difference. Lisa, this culture at this time, and this is three examples of that, in the husbands and wives, the husbands would, 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 are leading the wives, and so there, there's a power difference there between a husband and a wife. There's a power difference between a child and a parent, and there's a power difference between a slave and a master. And so he's talking about these three different power structures and how both the, the people who, don't, who have less power and the people who have more power, how they are supposed to operate. And there's a couple of things with that. One is, is, is that we don't necessarily feel like that, and obviously one of them is very true, we don't think that one of these power structures is fair at all. It is, it is absolutely wrong. And at least it seems, at least on the surface, this, power, this passage doesn't address that. And if we, and if we put these, these three things out on a spectrum, like, 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 like I mean, I, okay, I, 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 get, I, I get parents and kids and, I, I think I understand that the Bible says something about husbands and wives, but I don't like. And, but then this thing is just awful. And Paul does not spend any time talking about the relative justice or fairness of any of these power structures, really. Again, he does, but not in the way that we feel like he should, right? And so it just, it, it, it just, it just feels weird. And I want you to know that that's okay, it's okay that you think that. It's okay that you feel that. And I also want you to understand that this is not everything that the Bible has to say on the topic of slavery. It's way too often people approach the Bible as if um, that the Bible is somehow morally ambiguous about slavery, about whether or not it's okay for one person to own another person, whether or not it is okay for one person to greatly, harshly mistreat another human to dehumanize another person who is created in the image of God, you don't have to go past Genesis 1 to recognize that God would find that abhorrent. And you think, I want him to have said it stronger more places. I understand why you would think that. But again, that is a very Western approach to the way that the Bible even works. I mean, the, the Bible is more full of stories and it is an unfolding of who God is to a people who don't know anything and a slowly unfolding of the character of God who is entering them in a, in, in a particular time with particular systems and particular ideas. But God, cover to cover, is talking about the dignity and the power of every human. And you hear Jesus in the Gospels. You hear Jesus in the Gospels and he, he, he is railing against unjust power systems all the time, all the time. And he paints this picture about what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. And in, and, and in painting a picture of the kingdom of God, this is the way that it is supposed to be. 
And so there are plenty of, pl- plenty of opportunities, cover to cover in the Scripture, where, where it is addressed, this big picture idea is addressed about the unjustness and the unfairness and the terrible idea of one person owning another person. And at the same time, Paul has a very different idea that he is trying to get over and get across to us. And I think that it is incredibly important for us. Unfair or fair, power structures are going to exist in your life. And it is probably one of the most significant issues, character issues, and how we really can represent God well. How we handle when we don't have power is a real reflection of our character, as is what you do when you have power is a reflection of the character that God has in you. And so that is why I think Paul chooses to use these examples. He says, do, you know, do whatever you do, do it to Christ. He could have just listed 12 occupations and describe what those occupations look like. But instead, he focuses here, because I think he's got something very specific to say to us. And so I would encourage us, and we'll come back to it a little bit later, I promise. But I encourage you to just maybe just look past that this isn't saying everything that you wish it would about slavery, and letting the Bible speak cover to cover for itself. But let us narrow in a little bit on what it is that God has to say to us in these kind of power situations. And the first thing that he says is that the powerless should serve as if they are serving Jesus. The powerless should serve as if they're serving Jesus. And in each one of these, when he's talking about the wives and the children and the slaves, he references back to Jesus. And with wives, he says, Submit as is fitting in the Lord. Children, for this pleases the Lord. And talking about slaves, with reverence for the Lord, working for the Lord, that you have an attitude that says, I'm going to imagine that this is Jesus. I'm going to do this not for them, but for Jesus. And there's an illustration. The first person I heard use it was was my wife, Heidi. And she talks about this with respect to marriage, that you you find yourself, you know, under this this leadership of, of your husband, and, you know, you, can, you, could, you could use any illustration you want. You have, you, you have a boss. You have parents. And they have this leadership, and it's like an umbrella. And you look at the umbrella, and you think, there's a lot of holes in this umbrella. There's a problem with this umbrella. It's not going to protect me or help me really that much. And then I look at the person holding the umbrella, and I'm like, I don't know that I trust you to hold the imperfect umbrella that you even have. But if you look up through the umbrella, you will see a larger better, bigger, more powerful, perfect umbrella of the protection and the love of Jesus Christ. And that bigger umbrella encompasses the imperfect person and umbrella of the imperfect leader that you may find yourself under at this particular time. And so in all of these situations, he's saying, you should just think about serving Jesus. And he will be honored by the humility and the diligence and the servant's heart that you show in all of these situations. Now here's the thing that I also know. 
that this verse, these ideas of submission to husbands, of obedience to masters, that these verses ripped out of their own context and out of the context of anything else the Bible says about anything, they ripped these verses out and have been used historically to justify some of the worst abuses that the planet has ever seen. I recognize that. And that is a tragedy, and I hate it. And I hate the idea that this powerful word of God would ever be misused by people who say that they are followers of God to justify their own abuse. And if you find yourself in an abusive situation, if you are not sure if your situation is abusive and you want some help and advice with that, please reach out to somebody you trust. Please reach out to somebody here at the church. Because we do not, I do not want anything that I say here to feel like to justify the fact that you are, you are in an abusive relationship. This is not a justification for abuse. It is not. And you see that in, in what, what he says to everyone else. But we'll, we'll, let's just stick here for just a second. Because what he's saying is, is the way, the way, if you want to do who you, be who you're supposed to be in the name of Jesus, you want to be a good employee, you want to be a good son, you want to be a, a good when you don't have the authority, then submit and serve humbly. And again, this is what my whole intro was about, is that I'm terrible at that. I obsess about what I think I'm owed and what I deserve and I love to look at the flaws of the people who have authority over me because then that gives me justification for my own pride and arrogance. And what Paul is saying here is you need to stop thinking about your perspective on this person and you need to think, I am going to honor God by who I am regardless of the fairness of the situation. And so in all of the distraction, or not distraction, and all kind of the confusion of, of kind of some of the, the problems with this passage, I don't want us to miss the point. And the point is, is that many of you find yourselves in situations where you don't have the freedom that you wish that you did. You don't have the authority that you wish that you did. And you're taking this as an opportunity to complain and to whine and to talk about how unfair is, rather than I'm going to honor God in the situation that He has me in right now. And so to the powerless, the powerless should serve as if serving Jesus. Then the powerful, the powerful should use their power like Jesus does. So um, every time, again, the thing with the masters, you, you have a master. It's like, and, and, and all the time when it talks about love, that husband the way he's supposed to love his wife, he's always talking about with reference to Jesus, that you need to model leadership and model power the way Jesus does. And, and this makes a whole lot of sense in Colossians because what he's talking about is an all-powerful God, Jesus, who has all the power in the world, who created the universe, who sustains the universe. And how does he use that power? He has the ultimate power in the universe, the ultimate authority over you. And how does he use it? He uses it to sacrifice himself for you. He gives his life for you. He literally died for you. 
And, and he is constantly praying for you and advocating for you. And he is using the influence and the power that he has to make the world and to make your life and our lives to make them better. He uses this as a way to advocate for us. That's how Jesus uses power and authority. So when you find yourself as the one in charge, as you find yourself with a measure of power or influence, God is requiring, He is asking you to do the exact same thing that Jesus does, to use your influence and your power to advocate for those who have none. There's an interesting thing that He says, even in the most problematic part of this passage where Paul says this, anyone who does wrong will be paid for their wrongs. There is no favoritism. Our idea of power structure is all about favoritism. People who have power have more favor than those who don't. They're better, they're more liked, they're more respected than people who don't. And that's not how it works here. So if you think, powerful person, that because of your place, because of your status, that somehow you have more favoritism in the eyes of God that you are somehow special or better than some other person who does not have your power, you better be careful because God will repay you for that attitude. Any injustice you do with your power will be repaid to you. Because God doesn't have favorites. Again, you can still look at this passage and say, I wish he had been more direct than that. You can say that I wish that he had just that he had said something different, but you cannot say that somehow that Paul and the scriptures are somehow pro-slavery or pro-abuse because they are not. Because what he is saying here is that what you need to do, if you have power, if you have influence, you must use it for those who do not. And some of you, you hear me say that. You need to use your power to advocate for the powerless. Some of you think, oh man, oh man, here we go. Here we go. Politics time. It's politics time. I thought Charlie said he didn't talk about politics, and he made a very political statement there that the powerful are supposed to use their power for the powerless. And let me tell you this. Okay, I'll take my glasses off. I will say something. It frustrates me that we can just take a very clear, powerful principle from Scripture and that somehow that's a political issue. It's not a political issue. This is God's issue. God's issue is you using the influence and the power that you have to advocate for people who don't have. You are the one who is supposed to call and break down social and and personal injustice in individuals, in relationships, and in the world. That is your job. That is your job. That's not a politician's job. And secondly, let me say something like this. Do not think for one minute that the, the political system that we have is a model for this. And I don't care who you're voting for. I don't care. And, and, and I'll, I'll say one more thing, and then I'll try to get back on track. If you think that walking into a booth and, push, and pushing a particular button over a different button is your application for this, you've missed it. God is calling you to bring hope to the hopeless, calling you to bring life to the lifeless, to bring food to people who have none, to bring power to those who have none, to bring hope to those who have none. He is calling you to take what you have and to give it away to serve someone else. Now, there's several things that are going to come to different people's minds. You're going to think about kids. You're going to think about women who are abused. 
You're thinking about the, the impoverished, the hungry, people who are currently struggling with homelessness. You're going to think about racial issues. You may even be thinking about international issues. And all of those are great. And I hope that one of those in particular really drives you and it drives the way that you live, the way that you talk, the way that you give, the way that you serve. I really do. But in the big picture, I want to make sure that it, sometimes it is just as simple as you need to be a better dad. You need to be a better mom. You need to be a better spouse. You need to be a better boss. You need to be a better employee. Because there are hundreds of interactions that you will have each and every week. Well, there will be some difference between you. And how you serve will either model and demonstrate the life and the hope of Jesus Christ or it won't. And in every opportunity, in every interaction that you have, at work, at home, with friends, you have an opportunity to do that for Jesus. That I'm going to represent the humility that it requires in order to be a godly person with power or a godly person without power. Both require a humility, a service, something that says, I'm going to put you over me. I'm going to look past the, pa the fact that you are an imperfect leader. I'm going to look past the fact that you are a rebellious follower. And I am going to be who God has called me to be in this situation. Because here's what happens. And this is where the big picture injustices from the world have come from this passage. But it also where the smaller ones do too. Which is, I read this passage and all you can do is hear what the other person is supposed to hear. You're a wife and you hear what he's saying to husbands. You're a husband you hear what he's saying to wives. You're a kid and you hear... Yeah, I wish my, yeah, my parents, they, they're real harsh. They need to settle down. Like, my kid, man, he won't listen to anything. I hope he heard that. We're always thinking about what somebody else is supposed to hear. Hoping that someone else heard this message well today. And when we focus on what somebody else is going to do, then we get into this attitude. I'll be who God calls me to be if and when they do. And two people with that attitude and it never gets done. God has called each and one of us, each one of us, in humility, in every situation God has called us to be, to, to honor Him. I'm going to serve like Jesus did. I'm going to serve as if I'm serving Jesus. I'm going to love the way Jesus loved. And in everything I do, whether word or deed, I'm going to do it for Him. Let's pray.